Fires, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Now, here's your host, Davey Siegel. That's right, party people. Welcome back once again. You're at the place that everybody wants to be. Your friends are jealous of you because you are in victory lane. We had some action this past weekend from the action track, Richmond Raceway. We had a champion snap a streak. We had a Ghostbuster win $100,000. If you don't know, you'll get it eventually. We had people mad, people sad, people happy, everything in between. You're going to hear my one-on-one chat with Stuart Haas Racing's Xfinity driver Chase Briscoe. I think this is probably one of the best interviews that I've done. I, I really had fun talking with him. I think this is a great show, but I am, of course, biased. But if you're listening, you probably like me and like what I do. So I hope that this will be of interest to you. So with that being said, let's get started, DW. Go ahead. We only got limited time with you. Buggity, buggity, buggity. Let's go racing, boys. Toyota Owners 400 at Richmond Raceway. Sound the alarms. Do something. I guess this is probably where I'll add in like a Wii U, Wii U siren type thing. The streak is... Over! Martin Truex Jr. wins his first career short track race, and it only took him 81 tries to do so. Crazy to think that it's been that long for a champion at the Cup Series level to never win at a short track, but better late than never. And he earned this one, too. He held off the 14 of Clint Boyer and the 22 of Joey Logano at the end of these 400 lapper. So, Martin, how does it feel to get this monkey finally off your back? Well, it feels awesome, you know, honestly, uh, to finally get that first win, um, not only on a short track, but here at Richmond at a track where we've been so strong the last couple seasons and led so many laps and had, had some real, real heartbreakers, some that were really tough, you know, some really tough losses. And, uh, you know, they um, sometimes those things are uh, they're hard to hard to get through, but they make you stronger and make you, um, you know, appreciate the good days. So, you know, today we didn't have the best car and you know, it just uh, it worked out the way we needed it to, thanks to a great team and uh, a pit crew that, you know, just was – we beat the crap out of them this week, I'll be honest with you. You know, loose wheel at Bristol last week took us, you know, out of a chance to maybe to win, and we beat them up pretty good all week long. And, um, you know, they stepped up tonight, and they did a great job. They got us the lead and put us in control of the race and was, was really the difference. So just uh, honestly, I'm really proud of those guys. Um, they have a really, really tough job, and – it seems we only talk about them when uh, when they screw up. So I'm really happy for them. I'm really proud of them, and uh, really proud to um, to get all these guys on the 19 team and uh, here in Victory Lane, and um, you know our first our first win uh, here at JGR. So it feels feels incredible. It's a good point he brought up there. Is his first career win with Joe Gibbs Racing, and I, I kind of pose this question to you guys: Did this take longer than expected for him to win with Joe Gibbs Racing? I mean, what is this? This is the seventh or eighth, maybe ninth race of the season. I don't have it in front of me. And when you're looking at that on paper, you're saying, what do you mean? It's the first third of the season. He won a race. That's that's great. But when you think of Martin Truex Jr.'s performance the past three or so years, you think of JGR's performance in the same time frame, you're thinking to yourself, all right, Martin should come out of the gates swinging. And he did. It's just that he wasn't swinging as hard and as often and making as much contact as Kyle Busch has been, and of course, Denny Hamlin this season as well. So I I don't think it took a bit longer than expected. I just think that we expected him to run a little bit more consistent right out of the gate. But hey, he snapped a streak, and he was not able to do that at Furniture Row Racing. So congratulations to him. And also, the elephant in the room. Okay, I'll just say it. I've said it all, all week long. So he comes into NBC Sports Washington to promote this race, the Toyota Owners 400 at Richmond Raceway. He does a one-on-one interview with me. He was so gracious with his time. Spent like 25, 30 minutes with me. And he wins? Coincidence? I think not, okay? And I was talking to his PR at Tyler Overstreet. He was basically saying, yeah, I mean, we've done 10 of these things where we go to markets and we promote the races in studio. And this is the first one we've won. And I was like, Hey, man, if I'm your good luck charm, you might just have to come all the time every single week. Um, So he told me that he just had to lead the last lap when he was in studio with me on camera, and he needed to have some luck to go along with that. 
I asked him about that and what he was thinking throughout the, the last few laps. Davey Siegel, front stretch over here, Martin. Uh, last week you said that you all you had to do was lead the last one because the last five <laughs> races you've led almost 600 laps here. But I asked Cole the same thing. He said that he was more concerned with you holding off the 22 and the 14 because he didn't think that you guys were going to be able to. Was What was going through your mind? Were you more so thinking, when's the bad luck going to strike again, or let me just focus on holding off these guys? Well, I, I mean, I knew I was in, in trouble with, you know, 30, 35 to go. I mean, I just I, – my car got really tight. I couldn't get it to turn. I was like – I seen them back there, and I knew what lap times they were running. I knew what I could run, and I knew that – you know, once they started closing the gap, I was having to overdrive my car, and, and I was just making it worse. So I just tried to save a tiny little bit, if I could, until they got to me. And, and from there, it was just, um, you know, try not to screw up and try not to give them a free, you know, a free shot at you, a free, you know, run around the outside going into three or something like that. And, um, <clears throat> you know, the hardest part really was catching guys on the tail end of the lead lap and trying to lap them to put a gap on the 22 and the 14 and, and anytime I could get a car between us I could do really good but I drive up to the next car and then I get stuck again and so you know the reason to really the the real reason that race was so good at the end and so exciting was because none of us had any any air on our cars you know the the, the guys on the tail end of the lead lap right in front of me I was faster than them but I couldn't get any closer and so I had no air uh, just as much as the 14 and the 22 did. And then we just were all searching for something and sliding. I and mean, we had no grip at all. And so that's what made it, I think, a cool race. And I was just uh, honestly just glad we were able to hold them off. It, was, it wasn't going to be much longer. I mean, I was struggling. So it uh, feels good to get it. And as I alluded to there, I also asked crew chief Cole Pern the same thing. But he was a little bit more concerned with holding off the drivers behind him because they just weren't quick enough at the end. David Siegel with front stretch. This is one's for either one of you. You can take it. Uh, the last six or five races, I think you guys, Martin has led, I believe, almost 600 laps, and something at the end has happened to kind of derail your guys' chances. Were you guys kind of waiting for that to happen, the bad luck to kind of go your way again, or were you thinking this finally might be the time? I was waiting to get past because I didn't think we were very good. So, um, yeah, usually when running away from it, you're worried about the, the good luck side or the bad luck coming in, but... Uh, you know, tonight it was uh, just a matter of grinding it out, and, you know, Martin was able to do that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I know when the 22 got clear and got to her bump, you're like, oh, man, here we go. But uh, we managed to make it through and had a lot better result than the last time that happened. If you watch Fox Sports' Radioactive this week, you can hear Martin saying on his in-car audio with about 10 or 15 laps to go, he said, we are effing junk. I don't know what happened. But it was so, so extremely tough to pass in traffic this past weekend at Richmond. As you will hear, we're going to talk a lot about aero-dependentness. If you want to play a drinking game, uh, take a shot for every time I say aero-dependent or aero-dependentness starting now. Because we're going to hear it a lot, and I'm going to say it a lot. Um, so we heard from Cole Pern. We, we heard from Martin Truex Jr. Let's hear from the team owner, Joe Gibbs. His first win for the number 19 car at Joe Gibbs Racing since Carl Edwards departed a couple years back. And, of course, Coach Gibbs got to thank the sponsors. Take it away, Coach. We just we wanted him to get that win because I think a lot of things this year haven't gone well for him in races, and I think we've really been good. We know how good they are. And so they were the ones – that were putting pressure on themselves. It wasn't me. I kept trying to encourage them and say, look, we're going to get this. Don't worry about it. But I know how competitive they are, Cole and Martin both, and the whole team there. And our pit crew, this was a huge deal tonight for our pit crew, for them to really perform well as kind of a new group, be able to get this win. It's a huge deal for them. And then, of course, for our sponsors. We have a new sponsor on that car. And auto owners and Jeff Taxel and all those guys, everybody here knows this sport, you can't race without a great sponsor. And so that was a huge deal for us. I called Johnny Morris because he's also on that car and Bass Pro and Cabela's. It's just a huge deal for us all the way around. But I, I think they were the ones that were upset and putting pressure on it. It wasn't me. There is your winning team audio mashup. Let's get to some other people that participated and had a hand in this race. Joey Logano came home in second place. He won stage two, got another playoff point, and he had one of the quickest cars all evening long. He ended up passing Clint Boyer at the end of the race with about five or ten laps to go and almost was able to get by MTJ. 
And overall, Penske was still the class of the field, so I don't think anybody is disputing that. Driver 22 was encouraged but disappointed that the win did not come for him on Saturday night. Walk us through your night, please. Walk us through our night. Uh, okay. Um, I don't know. We had a car that was uh, capable of winning for the third week straight, and we didn't win. Uh, that part's frustrating. We just got to clean up some mistakes on our end. Um, you know, we lost the lead there on a pit stop. We got to get faster there. Uh, we, you know, it's, that's what uh, we lost control of the race at that point. Um, fell back to third, and then uh, you know had a decent green flag cycle that that got us up, and then we reeled in the 19 and the 14, uh, you know, from from pretty far back, and watching them race and i said well if i just patient save my tires i see them coming off the corner sideways every time i can be patient be patient they were a little faster than me but i knew they were gonna kill their stuff um and they did and i got there i was just uh, a couple laps late uh getting there um was able to get to the set, uh, the 19 but uh not not enough um you know going to the, it's just kind of a double-edged sword you go to the you go to the bottom you can't get enough drive uh to clear them uh, and you're never going to pass him. Uh, and getting to the outside is pretty tough. And uh, you know, but just going to get there. Ran out of time. Need a few more laps. Why was it so hard to pass? We asked the defending champion. Here's what he said. Very, 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 very independent. <laughs> Clean air is worth a worth a lot. Uh, that's that's. I mean, you saw it with the 18 car early in the race. You saw it with us early in the race. Uh, you know, if you can get out front, um, you know, it's definitely you can take control of everything. Um, you know, so, you know, it's still it's still a mechanical grip race track, obviously, as you go to short tracks, but uh, it gets really tough to get behind cars. Uh, the, the tire Goodyear brought didn't rubber the racetrack at all, so we we're all kind of stuck on the bottom. Couldn't uh, find much uh, area to get to get, um, you know, clean air uh, because the tire went rubbered in. Aero-dependent on a short track? Ugh, yikes. I, I saw somebody tweet that. Arrow dependent on a short track question mark that makes me want to throw up i kind of laughed at that but it's kind of true i mean at, at short tracks it should be about driver and not car it should be about raw talent behind the wheel of the race car it should not be about how the engineers back at the shop are able to are able to manufacture different parts of the car to hit the air in different ways and how they're able to handle in traffic that that's not what short track racing is all about so look you win some you lose some with this package week in and week out i get that but that, that's definitely not what I think fans, drivers, and everybody involved in the sport wants to hear about short tracks. But like I said, you win some, you lose some. Clint Boyer came home in third place, and he also had one of the quickest cars. It seemed like it took a little bit for the car to fire off, but once it did, it was blazing fast. I thought he would pass him at the end, and so did he. He spoke about his evening, and again, aerodependentness, take a shot, it sucks. We run him down. I mean, we were faster than him, but it just, you get to him. By the time he got to him, and my stuff was pretty wore out. And they're so aero-dependent and tight in traffic. I mean, massively tight in traffic. And just, uh, you know, just come up short. I mean, once, I felt like I needed to, to have a chance. I needed to stay on the bottom of the wind. And I knew if the 22 got to my outside, that position was gone. I mean, it was kind of one of those deals. Once he got to my outside, it was just you had to sacrifice that position to save, you know, the next one. Because if we had to sit there and run door to door, the forward have got me too. Um, yeah, it's just frustrating, but I guess it, it is what it is. His Stuart Haas Racing teammate Kevin Harvick came home with a top five in fourth place. One of his best runs start to finish, green and checkered flag of the season. Enjoy the fireworks in the background here of this audio bite. Uh, he actually enjoyed this race more so because the number four team was able to adjust on the car throughout the race, and he could see tangible aspects of their event that were getting better and better pit stop after pit stop. And although they didn't have a race-winning car per se, they had a race-winning effort. Walks through your night, Kevin. Yeah, I mean, um, we were way too tight to start the race, and, and the guys did a great job adjusting in the car, and uh, just got stuck behind two lap cars there, made up about six seconds, five seconds to the lead, and the cars are really bad in traffic, and once you get to them, they just push the nose and, and slide the back up off the corner. But they did a great job with our mobile one forward, and, and we're able, I like nights when we're able to adjust on our car and make it better from where we start the race. I think that that's um you know that's that's the team that, that we like to have and on the nights when things aren't exactly going your way and uh you're able to adjust on the car and make it better so we put ourselves back in the game and that was good you got it 
more aero dependentness everywhere they race. Here's Kevin. A lot of people on the radio are saying it was extremely tough to pass. Is that a product of the package, and how did you see it? Like, yeah, I mean, this, this package is just uh, extremely tough to pass every racetrack that we go to so far. I was laughing when we were talking to him at Ryan Newman in the background there saying, oh, that's some great audio. You could, you could barely hear him. We'll get to Ryan Newman, but first we will go in chronological order. Fifth place was Denny Hamlin after starting in the rear after failing inspection, and so did a handful of other cars. Jimmy Johnson was among them. Eric Jones was among them. Joey Gase, um, but, you know, he's a backmarker. I think there was another backmarker. And then Eric Almarola started in the rear, but Denny Hamlin was the one that finished the highest out of those people that failed pre-race inspection. Ran around 15th to 20th place all day long, but somehow, some way, maneuvered his way inside to the top 10. And then when the checkered flag flew, he was looking at a top five. Our car get, kept getting better every position we moved forward just because it got a little bit better air. But I was stuck in 20th for 200 laps. It just couldn't go anywhere. But once the field got strung out and we had long green flag runs, we could make, make, and the cars got spaced out, we could make, make hay, but uh, certainly was difficult for a while. Austin Dillon finished sixth place, really solid, like low-key run for the three car. I was pretty impressed when I looked at the box score, and I was like, oh, Austin Dillon finished sixth, wow. And Brad Kozlowski came home in seventh place. I was unfortunately not able to grab them, and the media bullpen uh, was pretty hectic out there as usual. But I did catch up with Kyle Busch. He finished P8. He was the fastest car on Saturday night, no doubt about that. Probably had this race won, if we're being honest. But a speeding penalty put him back in the pack. And then, as you've heard before, all the drivers are talking about the aero-dependentness. It was just so difficult to pass. He could not get back up there and challenge for the lead. And this is a classic vintage Rowdy interview. Enjoy the short answers. I kind of did. And I was I was kind of intimidated trying to ask him these questions because you knew that he was, was not going to be in a good mood. But we tried our best as a media and myself as well. So enjoy the short answers by Kyle Busch. Walk us through your night there, Kyle. Um, I don't know. What else you got? Speeding penalty. Did you push it at all? I didn't think so. How hard was it to pass? Pretty hard to pass. What kept the car from getting back up? Hard to pass. And that was that. I don't blame him, though. He's he's pissed off. It's just circumstantial. He had the best car, and he did not win the race. So I, I don't expect him to be happy-go-lucky, peaches and cream, everything's great. I mean, yeah, of course he's going to be upset. We alluded to Ryan Newman before. Here's Newman. Finish in ninth place, and he's been carrying the banner for Roush Fenway Racing this season. Just, uh, you know, we got boxed in there in pits uh, on the first stop, but overall the guys did a good job on pits, on pit stops, and fought back hard. Um, I feel like we might have had just a little bit better car than that at times, but uh, in general that's about what we ran most of the day lap time-wise. So um, a good finish, uh, especially from where we started, and we'll keep working on it. Encouraging finish for sure. Does it give you a lot of confidence moving forward? Uh, I wouldn't say a lot of confidence, but some, uh, more than I had last year. And overall, the season, how do you think you guys have been running compared to tonight? And what do you think the ceiling is for the team? It's definitely a step in the right direction. Um, you know, it's a good run for them. They don't typically run that well here at Richmond. So uh, when I say they, I mean us. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll build off of that. One of my favorite hashtags for a driver in the garage, and if you have kids in the car listening to this, you might want to plug their ears. I'm not going to curse. But let's get hard for Menard. Paul Menard with his second straight top 10 finish of the season. And hold on, Paul Menard, playoffs? The track's not been very kind to me, but we started ninth and ran it back half of the top ten all, all night long. So just a, a solid night, uh, gained some points, and, you know, eyes, eyes on the chase or the, the playoffs, you know. Uh, just keep chipping away at it, keep knocking off top tens, top fives coming, and uh, we'll be all right. Playoffs? Playoffs? You kidding me? I just hope we can win a game. Shout out Jim Mora. But, I, I mean, look, he could get there. I don't really think of – Paul Menard as a perennial playoff contender, and I don't think anyone really does. I mean, he has one career victory, and that came at the Brickyard a few years back driving for RCR, and he won it off a fuel mileage. But the results that Paul Menard and the 21 Wood Brothers group have been clicking off here this season, I know it's early. I mean, it's it's borderline playoff caliber. Um, obviously, you know, you never know what's going to happen when you get into the postseason. I don't expect him to be a guy that would make any noise. 
but you really never know. Once you're in the dance, anything can happen. So if Paul Menard can keep clicking off these top 10 finishes, these solid, uh, non-eventful days and evenings, he's going to be right there fighting for a playoff spot and maybe even fighting for a win uh, not too long after that. Real quick, before we get to my interview with Chase Briscoe, I want you to hear a couple other sound bites from this past weekend. I know I'm loading you heavy with them, but I really think that uh, all the ones that you've heard so far are pretty good, and the ones that you're going to hear now are as well. Let's start off with Kevin Harvick. This was on Friday evening after he won the pole for the race. So th- this was the first qualifying session where the format was different. Instead of having 10 minutes, 10 minutes, and 5 minutes, or 15, 10, 5, whatever it was, because we've seen the fiasco that qualifying has been in the Cup Series this year. NASCAR put into place a new format of five minutes for each round. Um, so I asked Kevin if he he sensed a different urgency uh, within the field with this new format. Here's what he said about the urgency factor. Did you feel a different sense of urgency with this new format at all? Uh, it was really just more congestion. And, and, you know, I think when you come to a place like this, you know, with everybody running three and four laps, you know, it's hard to get 40 cars um, going in, in the first round or however many cars are here. I don't, I don't know how many cars are here, but 35, 40, whatever it is, uh, going in the first round to, to run three or four laps. So, you know, you're, you're running the traffic and it, and it becomes more congested than, than it probably needs to be in the first round. Second, third rounds were fine. Appreciate Kevin giving me some thought on that answer there. And we talked to most of the other drivers uh, as they came in after their runs. Most of them think that when we go back to 1.5-mile tracks like Texas and uh, Las Vegas and Kentucky, places like that, it's still going to be the waiting game. Because as Brad Keselowski said a couple weeks ago on MRN Out Loud, um, you know, their race car drivers, they don't get paid to put on a show. They get paid to win races and put themselves in the best positions that they can to win the race. Starting second is not the best position. Starting first is. So if they have to wait an extra 30 seconds and try to play the chicken game on the end of pit road and be the last one out um, and not the first one, they're going to do it because it gives them a competitive advantage. You look at it in other sports, everybody wants to get that competitive advantage, whether it be basketball, football, baseball, or hockey. Um, you know, whether it's Tom Wilson using an example of my capitals, whether it's Tom Wilson, you know, taking a two minute minor penalty for fighting or something like that, but it galvanizes the troops. It gets them off the bench. It gets their sticks tapping against the wall and the boards and it gets them rallied. And that can maybe turn into a goal. Um, or whether it's football and not taking a dumb penalty when it's so easy to just lose your cool, lose your temper or make that one second of holding on an offensive line. It's different things like that. I will admit those two analogies that I made were actually very bad. I was just trying to think on my feet. You get where I was going with that. I will leave it at that. But I will say that when we get to the 1.5-mile tracks, we won't see it at Talladega in a couple weekends uh, because that's single-car qualifying. But when we get back to 1.5 and 2.0-mile tracks, you're still going to see some of the waiting game going on. It's just not going to be for eight minutes. It's going to be for probably three, three and a half. Elliot Sadler, he made his return this past weekend to the Xfinity Series for Colleague Racing in the 10 car. I was curious as to whether or not he had any second thoughts about the decision he made last year to retire. And, I mean, you'll hear it here, but from his social media, from the outside, what we're seeing, it seems like he's happier than ever and he's very content with his life. Um, So I'll give you a spoiler alert. He is very content with his life, but I asked him about it. Davey Siegel with Front Stretch. So, Elliot, a, a lot of drivers that have retired in the past have gone out the, gotten out of the car and said, oh, maybe I did this too soon, I, I need to get back in the car, and they rush back. But then a lot of the other people on the other hand are saying, okay, I'm glad I did this. And it seems from the outside, from social media at least, you seem very at peace with the situation. You're happier than you've ever been. You're new doing exactly what you said you wanted to do here last year, which is spend time with your friends, spend time with your family. Have you missed being in the car at all, or are you happier than ever? I, I am as happy as I've ever been in my life, and, you know, I tell my wife that all the time. And, you know, as a perfect example, we were I was at the house. It was the California race week. It was a, a Wednesday night. And I was like, well, if I had to go to California tomorrow, I'd have to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, drive to Statesville, get on the team plane, fly halfway across the country, and all that. Instead, I get to stay home and go watch my niece play softball tomorrow, and then my kids play baseball Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday. And, it just doesn't get any better than that. So um, I definitely made the right decision, um, stepping away full time. I was worried. 
when Daytona came. I really was kind of wondering how I was going to feel and how I was going to take it. Uh, but it was right on my son's birthday, and we had a cool birthday party. Um, so it was definitely the right thing for me to do. And But I think this kind of cures a little bit of the itch to come back, uh, you know, to, here to my home track at Richmond, and then we'll come back at Vegas in the fall. Uh, but I, I don't regret my decision at all. I love being a, a fan of the sport at home and watching on TV. I still don't understand why y'all write about certain things <laughs> during the week for some of these races. Now I can say that now. I'm not here every week. Uh, but uh, as far as being in the car, it hadn't, um, it hadn't affected me at all. I've been, been very happy with my decision. All righty. I wanted to give you guys those two quick sound bites. Um, I thought those were pretty thoughtful answers that I received this weekend. But let's get to Chase Briscoe, a.k.a. the Scandinavian Flick. Yep, you see it in the title. You're probably thinking, what the hell is he talking about? Well, now is the time where you get to find out. This was one of my favorite interviews that I've done in my short career as a journalist slash reporter slash NASCAR media person. Uh, we talked sprint car racing, getting started in stock cars, this crazy story of him essentially literally driving home on his way to quitting this whole stock car racing dream, but getting a phone call in the car and turning around. How the Roval win last year in the Xfinity Series, how that helped him parlay a full-time ride this season, um, driving for his idol and Tony Stewart, why his new nickname is the Scandinavian Flick, and I'm telling you folks, it's going to stick. And we talk some March Madness. Obviously, that is not really relevant now, but if you're, if you're a basketball junkie like me and Chase, you'll enjoy that. So here it is. Enjoy my conversation with the driver of the number 98 Ford Mustang for Stewart Haas Racing in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. It's Chase Briscoe. Chase Briscoe, welcome to the Victory Lane Podcast, your first appearance and my first time talking to you. It's yeah. going to be fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. So we're here at Bristol. Uh, I woke up this morning, as did you, probably seeing rain out the window, yeah. and you're like, well, guess we're in Bristol then. <laughs> yeah, it's like every year, I feel yeah. like. The, the few times I have been here, it's rained every single time, so I guess it's just part of it here. It's, it's like you can't come to Bristol without it raining. I, I think would, that's I, like I think to. that's an unwritten rule. Yeah, I'd like to once come here without rain, but it seems like it's definitely every time. Well, good news for you is today's Friday, so you guys have a couple practice sessions today. Tomorrow the weather looks pretty good. Yeah, I was and gonna then say tomorrow looks really good. Yeah, Sunday you'll be out of here. Yeah, I'll be but the weather is iffy, so we'll see. All right, so <laughs> let's let's talk about you, man. I was doing some research on you. I found out that you were the youngest driver ever. I think this is still record to win a 410 sprint car race. I don't, yeah, I don't know if the record still holds. Well, it, at the time at you the beat time, you beat Jeff Gordon's record. Yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. Yeah, anytime you can, you know, beat anything Jeff did, it's yeah. obviously a, a pretty cool deal. So yeah, you know, it's 13 years old and uh, rookie year running sprint cars and was able to pick up a win literally the last race of the year. So it was uh, pretty neat. And that was with a 1993 motor. Is yeah, so yeah, so we we did not have very nice stuff, but yeah, so I would just run <laughs> a lot on of a budget. Yeah, so I would I would just run a lot of my dad's old sprint car stuff, and especially. You know, my rookie year, they figured I'd be tearing up quite a bit, so we just ran old stuff. And that motor, I ran all the way till my last year running sprint cars before going stock cars. Yeah. So it's a little bit easier in the non-wing world to, to run an older motor than the wing side. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, for what we were doing, I mean, it still had 730 horsepower. So yeah. we were down probably about 100, but the track was so slick you'd be able to get away with it. As long it. as it gets the job done. Yeah, it, it was good enough to win, so that's all we needed it for. So take me back there for a little bit. So you obviously come from a, a dirt racing background, right? Yeah, yeah. My grandpa started owning sprint cars in 1976 and had a lot of the really the biggest names in sprint cars. You know, Steve Kinzer, Dave Blaney, Rich Vogler, Jack Hewitt. I mean, a lot, of, yeah, a lot of really big names in sprint cars. Drive for him, and then my dad ran for 22 years, and had a really good career, won over 200 races. So, you know, sprint cars were kind of all I knew growing up. That's where I was always at every weekend. And, you know, still every off weekend I get, I, I go, you know, try to go sprint car racing. And even on the weekends when we're here at the track, I'm watching it on the computer or on my phone. So yeah. it's uh, definitely kind of my first passion for sure. What do you think of kind of the new push in the NASCAR garage, so to speak, to promote dirt track racing? I feel yeah. like Stenhouse and Seabell have kind of started the, the movement and Larson too. But it's, it's got to be cool for a guy like you that comes from there to see everybody that's kind of stuck on the asphalt and the concrete, so to speak, yeah, going over to their tracks. Yeah, it's really cool. I wish we could get more guys that are actually driving over here, go over there and yeah. try it. But, you know, it seems like there's a lot more interest now, not only from other drivers and crew members, but as well as the fans. It seems like they're kind of interested and, and wanting to see what it's all about. And I feel like NASCAR has done a really good job the past couple of years of trying to cross-promote each side. And, you know, NASCAR benefits from the dirt guys wanting to watch and, and the dirt track world benefits from the NASCAR people wanting to watch. So. Yeah. Anytime those two can meet, I think it's uh, a really good deal for both communities. So when we were in Daytona, I actually had never been to a dirt track before. You go to Volusia? I went to Volusia. 
I was blown away. I was. I remember I was standing like right outside of turn two, and I, again, never been. I don't. I don't count the K and N race last year at Vegas as a dirt race. Yeah, no. So I was standing right outside of turn two, see them come by. I was like, man, this get pelted oh, with yeah. dirt in my face. I'm like, all right, I'm officially a dirt track fan now. Like this is sweet. Yeah, so. I don't think people realize how fast we go in sprint oh, cars. No, uh, no like chance. TV and you know YouTube videos don't do it any justice yeah. compared to to real life. Are they harder to drive than Cup cars? I've never driven a Cup Xfinity car. Cars, so I, excuse me, sorry. They're just a, a different kind of hard, you know. Like the Xfinity car, there's, I mean, they, there's a two thousand pound weight difference, so it's hard to say which one's easier to it's drive. Just so different. Yeah, yeah, they're just so different. It's hard to, to really compare the two. So let's go back to 2015. Um, I also read this. Correct me if I'm wrong. You wound up getting your ARCA ride with some help from a fellow dirt racer. That's Christopher Bell. He kind of put you in contact with somebody. And then you ended up testing with Cunningham Motorsports, and that was that kind of went from there? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, Christopher Hatt was obviously a Toyota guy kind of mm -hmm. from the beginning, and he had an offer for, from Roush Finway at the time to, to do a development deal, and I knew he was going to turn it down, so he's like, hey, you know, I'm turning this deal down. So I just went to Roush and literally walked in the front door and was like, hey, wow. I, I just don't know who I need to talk to. But nice to have friends like that, huh? Yeah, for sure. So I, I did that, and... You know, Cunningham had, had reached out to Roush Fenway the, the following week and was like, hey, you know, we're going to go do a test. Is there anybody you'd be interested in us taking? And, you know, Roush said my name just from that meeting. And uh, Cunningham had heard my name from somebody else that same week. So they heard my name twice in a matter of two days. So they were like, okay, well, we're going to figure out how to get a hold of this kid. And they, they called me and I went there and volunteered for, I want to say, right at a year before I finally got in the car and continued to volunteer there throughout until I, I got the full-time ride there. So... Uh, Cunningham Motorsports and the Cunningham family, if it wasn't for them, I'd, I definitely wouldn't be a stock car racer, that's for sure. How long was that process from getting in contact with them to then moving through the process yeah, and then I ended was, up getting in the car? I want to say I was 21 when I finally ran ARCA, and I moved to North Carolina straight out of high school at 18. Yep. So I was sleeping on a couch for three years before I finally wow. got in a race car. Is that tough? Yeah, I was. It's funny. I was actually moving back to Indiana the week I got the call to come and see if I wanted to go test for him. I was. So you were ready to. I was. Yeah, I was. I was literally driving back to Indiana and I was kind of done. And uh, you know, it so happened that I got a call literally as I was driving. I think I was in Kentucky when I got the call. So I I went wow. to Indiana that weekend, raced sprint cars, and came back the following Monday. So it's uh, it's pretty crazy how all that worked out. So you were like for sure like done moving back yeah, home, I was, trying to start a new, and you got the call while you were going home. Uh, yeah, I was driving home to go run a sprint car race. I was just gonna stay wow. there for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Talk about timing. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy how it's kind of been like that throughout my career. Jeez, wow, that's insane. So let's go back to last year. Your win at the Roval. That was the first time that anybody's raced on the Roval in an organized race. Yeah. I'm curious as to what you think that win specifically did for you in terms of possibly parlaying that into a full-time ride for this year because for my seat I, I mean people knew that you could drive right you wanted Eldora before you've wanted Homestead before and you can drive the hell out of a car on dirt but a Roval is a different animal yeah. in and of itself because one it's a road course two it's something that nobody's done before and you won and you whooped everybody's butt what do you think that win specifically did for your career moving forward and especially this season yeah I think it was honestly everything you know my Last year, Xfinity numbers are not near anything to brag about, and you know we really struggled all year long. And I mean, obviously, the 60 car had its, its own struggles. It seemed yeah, like whoever was driving, but <laughs> yeah. you know, even Jeez. my other races in the 98, we'd always get caught up in a wreck. And you know, I think I had three top tens all year, and I was personally really down on myself. And you know, Ford was constantly still believing in me, but I could tell you know they wanted to see a lot better results than what we were running. So to to go win the Roval, I felt like, was really the icing on the cake and what kind of, like you said, parlayed into what we're doing now. And it, it, I think it was even more important because Ford had sent me to run so many IMSA races and road course races to try to get me better because that was one of my really bad struggles, mm -hmm. I felt like. So to be able for them to see, you know, the difference in, hey, before you went road course racing with us and his development to go win the Roval, I think was a pretty big thing. So, I mean, obviously, anytime you win, it makes you more desirable, I yeah. guess you could say. So, uh, it definitely didn't hurt by any means yeah. winning at Stuart Haas. That's what I'm saying, too. Like, you don't come from a road course background at all. No, if not anything, at all. it's it's the opposite of your specialty. So, winning there, yeah. people are thinking, all right, I mean, this kid can drive. I, I don't know about that. But, yeah, you know, road courses is definitely the last thing I grew up doing. Yeah. It's, it's funny, even the day of that Roval, I was talking to guys about how it seems like sprint car guys are typically really good road course racers. You know, you look at Tony, you look at Jeff Gordon, even Larson's really right. good at, mm -hmm. at road courses. And I think it's just because you're constantly sliding around, slipping and sliding. And 
You know, in the past, I felt like I almost was too aggressive on road courses, and I'd always go slower. And when I tried to just slow down a little bit and, and not go 100% every lap, it, it kind of clicked with me. So, so it, slow down to go fast yeah, is not a myth. Definitely That's slowing thing. down to go faster was <laughs> the case for me at the road courses. So um, let's talk about your sponsor this year, Nutrichomps. It's right there on your sweatshirt. Yeah. Great paint scheme because you got yeah. a little pupper on the car. Who doesn't love some doggies yeah, on the we, car, right? We got, we got four on the car this weekend. Oh, so we got all of Jamie Little's dogs. So it's it's really neat. This morning I actually went to an animal shelter nearby with Jamie and, you know, Nutrichomps down it, donated $1,000 and probably another $3,000 in toys and food and everything else. So it's really cool what they've been able to do. And, you know, the Nutrichomps – you know, parent company, Scott Pett, they were also big time, which was on my ARCA car as well. So it's been a really good relationship. They're from Indiana. I'm from Indiana. Uh, the family that runs the, the business is practically family to me now, too. So it's been a really good relationship. And, you know, it's really cool for them. They were a big Tony Stewart fan growing up. So it's uh, kind of all worked out perfect. You let me right into my next question. <laughs> I know you were a huge Tony Stewart guy. You love smoke growing up. Oh, yeah. Still You're do. racing for him, man. <laughs> That's insane. It's like you were literally living the dream of racing for your idol. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty wild. You know, Tony was my guy growing up, still is. You know, I'm a, I'm a diehard fan. And, you know, in my room at my house in Indiana, I had a, a Tony Stewart blanket that covered the window and Tony Stewart stuff everywhere. So it's kind of surreal getting to drive for him now. And, you know, we just went to a pet expo a couple weeks ago, and I, I got to fly on Tony's plane coming back. It's just man. like, man, what, what in the world has happened? <laughs> like, it's just it's nuts to me. So I've uh, certainly been blessed, and like you said, it's just it's the perfect scenario for me growing up being a smoke fan, being a sprint car guy, being from Indiana. It all is kind of, you know, it's icing on the cake for me to be able to say I'm driving at Stuart Haas Racing, and it's uh, pretty special, and hopefully I can continue to be here. Did you meet him before you started driving NASCAR? Yeah, you know, him and my dad were actually pretty good friends growing up and uh -huh. raced sprint cars a lot. And I remember meeting him when I was six, seven years old and so nervous I couldn't even talk. And even, you know, back probably four or five years ago when I would see him at the racetrack, I would get super nervous around him and just get shy. Are you still starstruck or not really? Not, not as much now just because I'm around him a lot more, but... I still feel like I, I like try to say the right thing and like yeah, make you want sure. To impress him, yeah, yeah, like I, I want to make sure that he likes me. So uh, it's been uh, really cool though to, to to have Tony and come to the racetrack and you know before we fired the engines for Daytona, he comes up and leans up to my car and he's like telling me advice. It's just That's uh, insane. It's pretty wild for sure. That's the dream, man. I mean, what what would the little Chase Briscoe say, who's strapping in the sprint car every week? Going to the racetrack with his dad, watching Tony Stewart. What would he say if you knew what you'd be doing? I think five, he would, ten years down the I road. I think he would think I was lying to him. To be yeah. honest with you, yeah. I mean, it's, it's that surreal. Yeah, I mean, even going back to my sprint car days, if you look at my resume, I didn't do anything special to deserve technically to be here. You look at, you know, Larson's resume or Bell's resume. You know, USAC champions, and I won maybe six or seven sprint car races. So it's, I don't know if I necessarily have the resume as a lot of guys have, but. You know, it seems like I've just been so blessed to have so many doors open for me at always the right time, and, you know, we've, we've been able to run good when it counts. I'm looking at the car right now, too. I mean, the orange is just popping. Yeah, it looks like the old Tabasco ride back in the day. It does a little bit. Yeah, yeah it has right. a little bit of that flavor. Besides the dogs, it's just a good-looking car, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, it's bright. You can see it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely makes it pop on the eyes. So I saw you tweeted something. Maybe it was yesterday, the day before. You were at GoPro Motorplex down in Charlotte. Oh, yeah. Holy but Jesus, you were wheeling that thing. Oh yeah, the Scandinavian flick. Is that what it's called? That's what I call it. The Scandinavian flick. Yeah, I seen it on some rally cross video or something one time. And then Cindric was there. He's I told him I said, Hey, get your phone out, I'm gonna put on a show for you right here. And he's like, Alright. It's like just get it as sideways as you can. I said, well, I'm gonna do it one handed too. So we were just messing around and that go kart I bought it three weeks ago from Custer and this thing is old as can be motor barely runs the tires is it are, older than the 1993 motor you had it's, it's up there like <laughs> wow the tires on this thing are dry cracked rotted they're probably 10 years old so like you're just sliding around the whole time but yeah it's, it's a good time so the scandinavian flick is that's, what we're that's what i call it yeah have you heard that before or did yeah, you just make on, it up I've, I've heard it somewhere else i was watching a rally cross video or a rally video yeah, okay. and they they brought it out there so i've just kind of made it stick so, so this is obviously a podcast so you can't see but look at look it up on twitter what you did correct me if i'm wrong is essentially you're just going down the front straightaway you flicked it to the right and then you flicked it back left or maybe yeah, so vice versa turn one's a right hander so i flicked it and i was sliding like i was coming for a left hand turn and then i swung it back the other way to the right i actually i know nobody can see it but he's pulling I, out his phone i screenshotted the entry of the corner and i'm facing head on into the corner oh my god so, I mean, it was... You're literally coming straight for the camera. Yeah. All right, now he's playing the video. Yeah, now we got to watch the video again. Here he comes down the front stretch. 
And there's the Scandinavian. That dude, that's insane. This one's and even then, better. And then even a little peace sign, yeah, didn't you? Yeah, and then this one's better. I've ripped perfectly right around the inside curb. That's what we call hitting the apex, yeah, my it, friend. It was pretty good. Damn. Like, I saw that because I was before I do interviews, I always go on social media, just search what's going on in the yeah. news and stuff. And I saw that. I was like, whoa. Yeah, it was, it was like, a good time yesterday. I got to come by. It's, Maybe, it's fun. Is it hard to do? I mean, my cards feel like pretty hard to drive just because the tires are so old. And, like, okay. I'm too stubborn to put new tires like, on Like, if it. you got a 2019 state-of-the-art go-kart, would you be able to do it in that? Or is it I doubt it. Crazy? Yeah, I mean, if I put old tires on it, probably, okay. but not. Okay. Not new tires, no way. I'd flip over probably. Scandinavian flick. Yeah, look it up. There's videos on do you, YouTube. Do you have any it. nicknames? Nah, my dad growing up racing sprint cars was always Risky Brisky. That was his nickname. Risky like brisky. he was always on the gas, doing wheelies. So everybody started calling him Risky Brisky. I might start calling you the Scandinavian flick. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> the newspaper called me Frisky Brisky one time, but Frisky Brisky. Uh, that that it, flows a little better and it makes more sense. Yeah, I think being you could have an inside joke. Yeah. Scandinavian flick. Yeah. All right, so I also see that you've been tweeting a lot about March Madness. Yeah. Throughout the past month. Uh, are you a big basketball guy? Do you like other sports? Yeah, I actually go to as many basketball games as I can. I wish the NCAA tournament didn't come to Charlotte this year, but I went to the ACC tournament and watched. But, yeah, we were talking earlier, uh, you're a big Michigan State fan. Yeah, baby. <coughs> Izzo has them looking pretty good right now. So to the Izzo. I think they're going to be uh, pretty dang hard to beat. I hope so. By the time you're listening to this, we obviously know whether or not they beat Texas Tech and won the Natty, so who knows? I, I feel like Texas Tech is an easier win than the national championship game for sure. Well, I disagree because Texas Tech's defense is so good. Yeah, that's true. And I like, don't know if they can play with the physicality. Physic, I can't even physicality. say that word. Yeah, physicality right now at Michigan State, though. Yeah. The thing is, too, I mean, I graduated from there in May. I covered the team for like two, three years. Yeah. I said going into this March Madness, I said, this year they'll get to the Sweet 16. Talent-wise, they don't match up well enough with Duke. Clearly, I was wrong. Yeah. Um, and next year, I thought when Cassius Winston, the point guard's a senior, Langford's back from injury, you get maybe the, the freshman now, Aaron Henry and Gabe Brown, that are sophomores, and you get some new class coming in. I thought next year was going to be the Final Four National Championship. Well, run. that's the thing about Izzo is he gets guys that go the full length four years. Exactly. Dude. And, like, they're that's so exactly good it. senior year. Always. So this whole thing with college basketball, as you know, like Coach K, Coach Calipari, yeah, everybody's going one and done. Izzo has gone that route a little bit. He had Miles Bridges, who came for two years. Yeah. Jaron Jackson Jr. one year. Deontay Davis one year. Past three years, they couldn't get out of the first weekend yeah. because they have this incredible talent. But Izzo's guys are not five-star, one-and-done guys. Yeah, They're exactly. guys that are three, four stars out of high school. And he, he, he can he mold makes them, them become five-star exactly. guys. Dude, you get it. Come yeah. on. Izzo's, to me, the best coach in college basketball. Really? I think wow. so. I mean, Coach K's good and everything, but he, like you said, he's got the best players. Like, if you have Zion, it's pretty, pretty yeah. dang easy to – play a whole defense and yeah. uh, offense around him. I'm glad that my bracket got busted because I had Duke winning the whole thing. Um, I had Duke winning the whole thing too, yeah. but I don't know. Duke Duke by far I feel like had the most talent, but like we were just saying. MSU plays those, the best as a team. Yeah, like it's those one-and-done guys, they just they so never great. can put it together, I feel yeah. like, in the tournament. Even Calipari, Kentucky, like back in the day, they would have by far the best team talent-wise, yeah. and they can't put it together. Well, he got a lifetime contract, so he ain't yeah. going anywhere yeah. anytime soon. I think he's, what, $9 million a year or something like that? Something like that. Well, it was funny because UCLA offered him a deal. Problem is the deal that they offered him was less than he's getting now. Yeah. So it's like, uh, duh, obviously you're not going to take that. Do you watch any other sports besides basketball? Are you just uh, a college guy? You like pro I too? don't like pro ball. I mean, I'll watch it. Like if it's a good, I'll watch the playoffs typically, but yeah. I'm not a big pro guy by any means. I like baseball. I, I go to quite a bit of the Charlotte Knights baseball games, but I'm not like a diehard baseball guy. Like I don't have a team I necessarily cheer for, but I just like watching baseball. And then football, I like the Colts, even though they haven't been much talked about since yeah. Peyton, but you we're slowly getting now. it. Yeah, you're on the when he's up. healthy. Yeah, you're on the up and up. <laughs> All right, wrapping up here. Also, saw on your Twitter. You got a great Twitter game, by the way, I must say. <laughs> I appreciate um, it. So, your wedding day is slash was scheduled as the same day yeah. as the banquet. Yeah. That is like the definition of unfortunate timing. Yeah, that was, that's Did a good story. Did you do anything? Is it rescheduled? Or yeah, what? we rescheduled to the 30th, so the following rescheduled week. rescheduled the wedding. Yeah, but, yeah, so the 30th is now the wedding day where it was, I think, the 23rd, I want to say. Yeah, I was telling Marissa, I was like, look, the banquet is always in December, and it's always on a Saturday. Because she was wanting it to be like the December 14th or something like that, and it was going to be a Saturday, and it's, that's normally the weekend that the banquet always is. So I told her, we do it in November, especially if we do it on a Friday. We're going to be plenty good, like no problems whatsoever. And then the banquet gets announced that it's on a November, it's in Jeez. November on a Friday, and it's on the day we pick. So we uh, ended up getting a pushback another week, and 
it ended up working out. It's actually, I'm pretty sure, the same date I, I we got engaged. So it's kind of oh wow perfect. Kind of worked not out. Like you planned that or anything? Yeah, right? I didn't plan it that <laughs> way, but it kind of worked out. Was that hard to like reschedule everything though? I feel like nah, that'd be a luckily, nightmare. luckily we hadn't really. We're kind of, we still haven't really scheduled okay. anything other than the venues. So. Blessing in disguise, though. Yeah, so we're, we're looking good still. Well, good luck with that, the wedding yeah. planning. Hopefully, uh, by the time we talk next time that I see you, possibly in Richmond, Michigan State will be national champs. Yeah, I hope I hope so. I'm pulling for them. I, it'd be cool to see a Big Ten team win. Yeah, that makes two of us. Chase Prisco, yeah. thanks so much for the yeah, time, thank man. Thank you. Appreciate it. There you have it, party people. I told you it was pretty good, right? I hope you enjoyed my convo with Chase. Uh, really chill dude. Pulled up in a hoodie and some chucks and was just chilling. We were shooting the breeze right outside of the 98 hauler. Um, thank you to everybody at Stuart Haas Racing and True Speed for helping coordinate that conversation. Really do appreciate it. Um, and like I said, I, I really did enjoy that convo. The Eric Jones one that we had last week was transcribed and posted on frontstretch.com. You can check that out. And I believe this upcoming week, if not in the next couple weeks, this Chase Briscoe conversation will also be transcribed and you will be able to see that online. Even though you heard it here, it's kind of funny to go back on it and read it. Just because when you see some things in writing, it's like, oh, what? That's weird. All right, let's look ahead to the next race. Just kidding. We have an off weekend. Happy Easter. Happy Passover to all my friends and family out there. Obviously, I do not celebrate Easter. You know that by now. I'm a 22-year-old Jewish male with a receding hairline who is going to consume endless and endless boxes of matzah this weekend. So listen, enjoy the off weekend. We need more of them in NASCAR, to be honest. Uh, that's a whole different conversation, though. But it's matzah time, and now it's time for the closing segment of the week. And you know what that is. Lug nuts! Cue the music. Who are you going to call? Cole Custer! He won the Toyota Care 250 on Friday evening, the Xfinity race at Richmond, and a hearty $100,000 for the Dash for Cash Here's the serious soundbite for General Custer on his night before we get to a fun one. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, we've always had speed. I mean, everywhere we've gone so far, it's just a matter of, I think we get better as the race goes on when we make adjustments. And I think we, uh, when we come back for the second time, we're going to even be even, even better. So it's just, uh, we have the speed right now. I think we can get even better, but I think uh, we're definitely, we're, we're doing things right at this moment. And here's the not so serious one. Crush. And here's the not-so-serious one. Question asked by yours truly. Davey Siegel with Front Stretch. So after stage two, you came over the radio and you are saying, my windshield's soaking wet. So now that the race is over, was it really that raining, raining that hard or were you kind of uh, accentuating that a little bit? It was pouring, man. It was, uh, I, I don't know how we made it through the first corner, honestly. And before we put a bow on that Xfinity Series race, I caught up with Elliot Sadler after his 12th place run on Friday as he was kind of walking through the fan zone back to his motorhome. So you told me before the race that you didn't miss it. Now that you're done with it, feel the same way or you feel I, I the had, itch? I'll tell you what, I, I got to admit, I was having fun out there, man. I had, man, I had, some, I had a smile on my helmet, even though I didn't run <laughs> as good as I wanted to. Uh, I had a pretty good smile on my face. It was, uh, I definitely missed that part of it and the challenge of, uh, that, that Rich and Richmond gives you, but uh, all in all, it was a, a good night. I'm glad it didn't get rained out where we could race the whole 250 yeah. laps and I didn't get shorted uh, my time here, so it, it all worked out okay. Not too much to report on the penalty side of things this weekend. Rambo Burnett was fined $5,000 for one loose lug nut after the race on Friday night. He is the crew chief for Tyler Reddick's number two RCR Chevrolet. Christian Eckes was hospitalized for a small esophageal tear in his trachea. Holy bejesus. And that was a result of complications from food poisoning. He did not race at Salem Speedway in the ARCA series. Harrison Burton flew up there and filled in for him. The race was cut short due to rain. But hope Christian's all right and he's able to get back in the seat. That does not sound fun. Here's the biggest news of the week, I would probably argue. Jimmy Johnson, the most underappreciated athlete in sports. Yeah, I said it. Seven-time Cup Series champion. He won five in a row. Him and Chad Knauss, the number 48, Lowe's Hendrick Motorsports Machine. They forced NASCAR to change the playoff format three separate times, different iterations of cars. It didn't matter. All they did is win. And what did Jimmy Johnson do this week? Two days after he ran 400 laps at Richmond, he ran the damn Boston Marathon. And guess how... And guess how fast he did it? 
three hours, nine minutes, and seven seconds. His average pace was seven minutes and 13 seconds per mile, 26.2 miles. He placed 4,155th overall. He was 3,746th in his men's division and the 641st overall in his other division. Are you kidding me? This man is an absolute machine. I know that he is one of the most fit athletes in the garage, one of the most fit athletes in sports right now, but you're telling me that Russell Westbrook is going to run a 26.2 mile Boston Marathon in the elements two days after he drops 25, 5, and 9 in an NBA game? No, he's not doing that. You're kidding me. And yes, I know Russell Westbrook is an absolute freak of an athlete compared to Jimmy Johnson, but that doesn't mean that Jimmy is not an athlete. All right, I'm going to get off my soapbox and just say, Jimmy, this is me in podcast form bowing my head to you and shaking your hand because you are a machine. Congratulations for all your success in this realm of your life. I mean, that is just just absurd. He wanted to get under three hours, so I guess he'll have to come back next year because he did qualify. Gator Gateway Motorsports Park has a new name. This one really pisses me off. It's just stupid. So instead of Gateway Motorsports Park, you know what the new name of this racetrack is going to be? Worldwide Technology Raceway at Gateway. It's just dumb. I'm sorry. It's just really dumb. Like, thank you for sponsoring it, but you don't have to change the name of the racetrack. What are they going to call it now? WWTR at, at Gateway? Like, no, it's just Gateway. Just, God, just relax. Get the naming rights to everything else, but don't change the name of the track. Ugh. Toco Warranty will sponsor Clint Boyer for four races primarily this season. I was there for that announcement. Woohoo. Cool logo. It's like the toucan on for loops. Brett Moffitt will race for um, Junior Motorsports at Talladega Super Speedway. I wrote GMS Racing in my notes, but that was wrong. And Landon Castle will race for JD Motorsports. Although he is running for points in the Cup Series, and that is a dash for cash race, which means that Cup drivers can't compete. So I don't really know what's going on there, but maybe I misread something here or there. But they got about a week to figure it out. All right, party people. That'll do it for Episode 7 of Victory Lane with our guest, the Scandinavian flick. You know him as Chase Briscoe. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. As always, glad you stuck around and tuned in. Uh, We'll see you next week for another great episode. Just because NASCAR is off does not mean that I stop. Uh, hope you like my convo and every everything that I brought to you to the table this week. Please do me a favor. If you liked what you heard, rate, review, subscribe. You can do that on iTunes. You can get it on Google Play as well as Spotify. Post all the episodes on SoundCloud as well. Peace and love, my dudes and dudettes. Eat your matzah party, people. Even if you're not Jewish, just try it. It's a really bland, large cracker. You can put whatever you want on it. I'm not really looking forward to it, but you know what? When life throws you curveballs, you got to hit them. And every year for seven or eight days, I have to hit this one time after time after time. Happy Easter. Happy Passover. Enjoy your lack of NASCAR. I will try to live without it. I will do my best, and I will see you guys next week right here back in Victory Lane.